0: What's you beautiful bastards welcome back to the philip defranco show uh first off no you are not hallucinating what a horrible garbage trip that would be but yes you are getting a bonus extra full philip defranco show today there's just too much news to try to get to this week and you know how i love filling you in so buckle up hit that like button for getting an extra show this week and let's just jump into it you know the first thing that we're going to talk about today and i want you to listen up because this may save your life we need to talk about the copterpocalypse right so the story starts out with 19 year old logan schneider at his family's cherry orchard in washington state and he's just riding around on his tractor blowing and cherries, which sounds way more fun than it actually is. I got excited. Turns out it's just a process to dry off the fruits after recent rainfall. You know, he's in the middle of fucking nowhere. He can see in all directions, so he's wearing noise-canceling headphones. What's gonna sneak up on him? Except, silly, silly Logan. He forgot the first rule of blow and cherries. Watch out for helicopter sneak attacks! With Logan hearing two thumbs, then looking up and just seeing this massive black monster coming straight at him. That- are we children? We're less than a minute into the show and dick jokes, okay. But yeah, he sees this massive BBC, big, beautiful copter heading straight toward him, teeth spinning, trees shaking, tearing up through high voltage power lines. He's got no time to run, and the next thing he knows, the chopper is literally on top of him in the tractor. But miraculously, he somehow survives the crash, with him feeling a sharp pain in his back, which he said was actually the helicopter's nose pinning him down. But it does so in such a way that he's somehow able to free himself by pushing off the steering wheel and slipping out. But it also doesn't end there, because it turns out the helicopter pilot is still alive too, with him trapped in his harness amid the wreckage And as Logan explains. I heard him screaming, and I, and I looked, and I saw him sitting roughly about here upside down hanging and that's when fire was everywhere. So now Logan's running against the clock, racing to save this guy before the flames engulf him. This absolute bamf moves through the fire, reaching in, unclipping the pilot who made it out in one piece. Though, not coming out fully unscathed, both of them sustaining non-life-threatening injuries. With Logan suffering second-degree burns, also having some damage where he's having to wear a back brace right now. But also, to make the situation even more random, it turns out for some reason that Logan and the pilot share the same birthday. And as it turns out, Logan had actually been planning to enroll in aviation school, though there, noting that the incident has not changed his mind. also adding. Did you go out and play the lottery that day? I did actually. I won two bucks. I feel like I always have somebody watching over me like God's watching over me protecting me and you never know when it could be your last moment, basically. So yeah, I guess the moral of this story is there's no reason to be scared of anything. Like, statistically, there are norms, but you never know what life's gonna throw at you. You can live a life of eating right, exercise, and looking both ways before you cross the street, not jumping out of airplanes, and a fucking helicopter out of nowhere can just crash land on you. It's all chaos. We're a second away from not existing at all moments, so I guess just enjoy life. That's the lesson I'm gonna take from this random ass story. Then, in what feels like the now never-ending flow of the dark side of social media, media fame, we should talk about Valkyrae. And if you don't know, she's this massive content creator and streamer, and in a recent interview with Anthony Padilla, he asks her what's the craziest thing that's ever happened with a fan? And unfortunately, her answer is not a fun one, and while she never used the word stalker, uh, you can be your own judge. Saying that this man, I'm not gonna call them a fan, but this man flew from out of state and went to the 100 Thieves compound, which is kind of just the uh, the headquarters for her organization. And she gets warned that this guy was looking for her people at 100 Thieves, end up calling the police, with the guy then going back to the airport, but seemingly he had no intentions to actually get back on the plane, with Valkyrie explaining, ended up staying at the airport for multiple days and recording videos of himself saying like, I'm not leaving until Ray picks me up. Like, I know that she wants to see me. And it's like really, really crazy. She goes on to say she's never interacted with this person, but in his videos, he kept saying that she wanted him there and they should go to Coachella together and adding that she thinks that he may have been struggling with mental health issues, but the whole thing reminded her just how vulnerable you can be as a public figure and online creator. Like seeing the videos, like him recording himself, like really reminded me like anyone could watch you. Anyone could watch you and build some sort of like parasocial. Yeah. mindset with any streamer or content creator that they watch and it's dangerous and unfortunately this feels like more and more of the norm whether it be online creators or, of course the mainstream people right just in the last little bit like we talked about the amaranth situation there was ariana grande having someone arrested a second time for breaking into her home a man accused of stalking taylor swift was also arrested earlier this month the fucking david beckham situation's bizarre there's this wild report about an alleged stalker claiming that david beckham's sperm had fused with her eggs with reports report saying that she ended up getting hit with a restraining order after she went to his daughter's school claiming to be her mom like what What the actual fuck is happening right now? And so that's why with this story, of course, yes, I'd love to know your thoughts in general, but also I think it's important to to highlight the the really dark side of parasocial relationships we see from content creation. We should also today talk about big emergency number news. Like we all know if there is an active shooting or McDonald's is out of the microwave, you call 911. But starting tomorrow, you've also got another option, 988. With that meant to be a new alternative to the 10-digit National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Right, so if you're feeling suicidal or you're having any other mental health crisis, you can call or text that quick memorable number just like you would with 911 and get connected to a trained professional, which is something that many say we desperately need right now because the mental health crisis in the US was worsening even before the pandemic and COVID only intensified that. Y'all, someone dies from suicide roughly every 11 minutes. It's the second leading cause of death for those aged 10 to 14 and 25 to 34. And currently, the majority of people experiencing a mental health emergency turn to 911, which can then lead to them dealing with law enforcement who aren't trained for that or ending up in an emergency room waiting hours or days for care. And so you have this woman who's taken calls for the hotline and contemplated suicide herself telling NBC. I think just the, the mere existence of it as a mental health crisis helpline is going to do a lot because it's saying we're making mental health as important as 911 emergencies. It's just going to normalize mental health support. You don't feel shame for calling 911 shouldn't feel shame for calling 988. You've also got the Secretary of Health and Human Services saying at a recent press briefing, 988 won't be a busy signal and 988 won't put you on hold. You will get help. But some are skeptical whether the Lifeline can actually deliver on that promise. Saying however well-meaning it is, if there aren't enough resources to respond to a large volume of calls, people could be left stranded. Or Because ever since the original hotline was launched in 2005, call centers have gotten barely any federal funding with some being forced to shut down. Which is why recently you had this employee at the only call center left in North Carolina saying that any calls that they can't take will be bounced to other parts the country and adding... Are you ready for 988? No, we don't have the funds for operational staff yet. Our concern is that the youth won't wait to be transferred, or that someone who's done something to end their life, like taking the pills, that they would die because we can't get them routed to the emergency services that they need. And as it stands right now, there are over 200 crisis centers across the U.S., with a 2021 report finding that the current hotline is able to respond to just 85% of calls, 56% of texts, and 30% of chats. And here's the thing, if 988 does what it is supposed to do, get more people aware of the lifeline, then the influx of calls and texts are going to skyrocket, with health officials predicting they will at least double in the first year after it launches. But, there is some hope here, because earlier this year, Congress began appropriating funds to support call centers in preparation for tomorrow, with HHS saying that more than $400 million have gone towards them so far, and they're bolstering associated services like a sub-network for Spanish-speaking callers. But yeah, I guess the main point of the story is you now know about 988, and if you use that because you're going through something and it saves your life, I saved a life. I am a hero. That's the real reason I'm talking about this story, my ego. Also, if you're looking for a way to remember about 988, let's uh, let's try and come up with some jingles together. If you're having a mental break, call 988. <laughs> You know, I was actually, I was going to do several of them, but I think we just, we crushed it on the first one. But also, I'm a big believer in the group can come up with a better idea, so uh, give me your best 988 jingle. I'll end next Monday's show with the best of them, because why not? It's random and for a good cause. But from that, I want to take a second to thank the sponsor of today's show, making this extra show possible, Magic Spoon. Magic Spoon is the adult version cereal, meaning it tastes like your favorite childhood cereal, but it's also high in protein, low carb, and has zero grams of sugar. Basically tons of nutritional value and none of the sugar rush. And while Magic Spoon does does taste too good to be true. It is perfect for busy people looking for a quick, guilt-free snack that keeps you feeling fuller longer. And if you're a cereal anytime person like me, then eat it for breakfast, lunch, or dinner, because why not? Also, aside from the sponsorship, I'm just a subscriber of theirs. My favorite flavor is easily frosted, but also there's so many good ones. Peanut butter is delicious. They've also just brought back the fan favorite, Honey Nut, to their permanent collection. Side note, Magic Spoon, just bring back Jelly Donut forever. I've been holding on to one final box like it's a Pokemon card. But also for you beautiful bastards, they have all the OG childhood flavors like cinnamon, blueberry, fruity, and cocoa. And the best part is that Magic Spoon ships directly to your doorstep. So if you love cereal like myself, but you want a healthier, more nutritional option, you got to check out Magic Spoon. It's affordable with a 100% happiness guarantee. You don't like it, they'll refund your money. So what are you waiting for? Just go to magicspoon.com slash defranco and enter in code defranco to get $5 off any variety pack. And then finally today, we need to talk about this story that's become a major flashpoint in the post-Roe abortion debate. Right, so the situation the situation starts when the Indianapolis Star broke a story on July 1st about a 10-year-old girl in Ohio who became pregnant after being raped and had to travel to Indiana to get an abortion. With this, because reportedly just hours after Roe was struck down, Ohio banned all abortions after six weeks with no exceptions for rape or incest. And you had Indianapolis based OBGYN Dr. Caitlin Bernard telling the star that she had received a call from the child abuse doctor in Ohio that had seen the girl who, exactly three days after the ruling, was six weeks and three days pregnant. With that story then beginning to spread on social media, prompting outrage for many abortion supporters, including President Biden himself, who directed even more attention to the story after referencing it in a speech about abortion rights. But on the other side of this we saw tons of pro-birth conservatives beginning to cast doubt on the story saying that Dr. Bernard did not give documented details and there did not appear to be a criminal complaint connected to the allegation. Though there we saw many noting that there are numerous reasons why such documents would be hard to come by, especially when it comes to the rape of a minor. Saying it could include the family's desire to keep the story under wraps, the fact that it is illegal for many official reports to be disclosed publicly until they become part of legal proceedings and health laws that protect medical records from public view. With in fact Bernard herself even citing those medical record protections when asked to corroborate her story by reporters but still with that at the time we saw conservative politician after conservative politician saying this story was a lie this including ohio attorney general dave Yass, who is the top prosecutor in the state who told reporters earlier this week that there was not a whisper of evidence to support the story and that it was more likely than not a fabrication as well as ohio representative jim jordan calling the story another lie you know it wasn't just the lawmakers we saw many conservative commentators and outlets using their platforms to claim that this story was a lie with this including some of the most prominent and highly watched fox news hosts like tucker carlson and jesse waters who both suggested the story was a hoax with also other media organizations owned by the right-wing Murdoch family echoing that narrative, such as the New York Post publishing an article titled, "Activist Tale of a 10-Year-Old Rape Victim's Abortion Looks Like a Lie. Then you had the Columbus Dispatch first reporting that a 27-year-old man had been arrested after police said that he had confessed to raping the child on at least two occasions. And on Wednesday, the man who is currently being held on a $2 million bond was arraigned at a Columbus court where he was charged with felony rape of a child under 13 years old for which he could face life in prison. And in a video of the arraignment on Wednesday, a Columbus police detective testified that the suspect had indeed admitted to raping the girl twice and that the girl herself had identified him as her rapist. The officer also confirming that the abortion had taken place on June 30th, one day before the article was published in the Star, with matting that despite conservatives repeatedly claiming that there was no evidence for this story, the police had actually been referred to the case by Child Services, which had been contacted by the girl's mother on June 22nd. Also very notably here, the prosecutor said that the girl had only recently turned 10, meaning she may have actually been 9 when she was impregnated. And so we ended up seeing shortly after that as many of the conservatives who spread the narrative that this was all a lie quickly backtrack. Ohio Attorney General Yaz doing a full 180, saying that his heart aches for the pain suffered by this young child. He also claimed that the girl didn't actually have to leave Ohio to get an abortion because the state's medical emergency exemption would apply to her situation. Though you've got people saying it's unknown exactly what part of the law he's referring to and saying even if that is true, it's obviously unclear to medical providers who would have otherwise not made this poor girl cross state lines. You also had others pointing to Jim Jordan saying he took it a step further, that he literally deleted his first post without issuing any kind of apology or remark correcting it, with people saying he was trying to act like he was on the right side all along. Meanwhile, Waters, the Fox News host who previously called the story a hoax, bizarrely tried to take credit for putting pressure on the investigation. The New York Post also quietly changing the title of their article. But beyond all that, we saw many conservative figures kind of trying to change the narrative or some would call it distract, with many of them now trying to focus on the fact that an ICE spokesperson said that the suspect in the case was an undocumented immigrant. Others also shifting focus to Dr. Bernard with the Attorney General of Indiana, even telling Fox News he intended to investigate her, implying that she failed to report the abortion to the state. And even though documents obtained by the media have now confirmed that she reported the procedure within the three-day timeframe for patients under 16, the AG's office says its review remains open. Which is also why we've seen a number of people condemning those conservatives, this including the likes of Hassan Piker, who put out a series of tweets, reading, a 10-year-old was raped in Ohio, had to get an abortion in Indiana. Republicans, including the Ohio AG, collectively cast doubt on the story. The rapist was caught. Turns out he might be undocumented. Now they quickly switched the attack onto immigrants and the Indiana abortion provider. And going on to say, these people are fucking monsters. If there was any justice in this world, every single person that's engaging in this barbaric media campaign would be cursed for seven generations, never feeling a moment of comfort their entire lives. But that's also not where the messiness with this story ends, because on Thursday, Telemundo reporter went to the home of the man who had admitted to raping the 10-year-old. And the woman who opened... Opened the door, did not give her name, but said she was the girl's mother, with the woman there seeming to confirm that the child lived in the same house as the suspect, but added emotionally that the girl was fine and that everything they are saying against him is a lie, they're also telling the reporters that she did not file charges against the man. And with that, very notably, the woman did not dispute that the abortion occurred or any of the other details surrounding the matter, and with this, you have plenty of people noting that there are many reasons why she might be lying about this, this including conservative commentator and analyst Jorge Bania, who speculated in a Twitter thread, this could be a situation where the confessed rapist is in a relationship with the mother or is a relative of the family, and adding there that he saw a many such cases while working as a court interpreter, with him also going on to say that the mother's distressed defense of the rapist suggests that A, she is also here illegally and fears deportation, B, the defendant is the family's sole source of income, C, there is a likelihood of other children in the home, D, mom is exposed to removal of the children under dependency proceedings, failure to protect. Now, one other thing I wanna note here because you may have seen headlines swirling around saying that Dr. Bernard's official report to the state about the abortion listed the approximate age of the father is 17, but there, as some reports have noted, the fact that she gave an approximate age indicates she didn't know the actual age and thus was required to make her best guess. As it turns out, is actually often the case in situations of abuse where there are unknowns about the perpetrators. Right now, it's unclear why she put that age or if it was based on any information that she had. So obviously, there are a lot of questions with this case, but for now, we're gonna have to wait to see how all of this plays out. Though notably here, law enforcement officials who testified during the arraignment said that they're going to test the suspect's DNA with that of the aborted fetus. So that is very likely the next information we'll get and would give us some pretty solid answers. But also with the whiplash and disinformation around this story, you have a lot of people saying it emphasizes the heart of the issue here. That these cases and responses to them are emblematic of post-Roe America. But ultimately, with this story, that's where we are. Obviously, more information could come out, but based off of what we're seeing now, I'd love to know your thoughts. And there's a lot of different aspects, so maybe just go with what feels most important with this story to you. But ultimately, that is where that story and today's show ends. As always, thank you for being a part of the conversation down below, hitting that subscribe button, being a part of the community. Of course, remember, if you're looking for more news, I got you covered right here. My name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces, and I'll see you next time.